Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams started a two-week-long series entitled, On Your Mark. As we start off this new year, we want to hit the ground running. With that said, God calls us to be in relationships with other people. Listen as Brandon explains how we can look for opportunities in our everyday lives to share Christ. All right. Obviously, that was not me doing that. I'm, I'm winded just watching that video, but uh, glad you guys are here today. Are you excited about the new year? I'm pumped up, man. 2011, I'm just believing God's going to do some awesome stuff. Uh, it, I, th- I think it's going to be an incredible year, so glad you're here to start this off with us and uh, be a part of this. Be praying for us. Got a lot of stuff coming up, especially with this third service. Um, be praying. I may have to start doing more physical exercise to make it through three, um, but, but be praying for that, that, that God will bring people to that service that maybe we couldn't get to an earlier service. ask you to join us in that um, and praying for us. Um, as we start the new year, we're starting a new series called On Your Mark. We're going to be reading out of uh, the book of Acts today, chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 8, and then 26 through 38. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I want to look at, for the next two weeks, this race that God would have us run. I believe that God's got a race for every one of us, individually, and also as a church. Today I want to look at this as, what's, what's God calling you to do? this year? What's he calling me to do this year? And I mean, I'd, I'd like to be able to finish 2011 and be able to say, I did what God wanted me to do. Anybody else? I mean, I'm not, I'm not just crazy. It would be great to get to the end of the year and be able to look back and go, I did the things that God wanted me to do in 2011. So we're going to begin looking at that today. Um, so we'll begin in Acts chapter 8. We'll read to you verses 1 through 8, and then jump over and read 26 through 38. Acts 8 verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly man buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and they saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. In verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in a chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The unit was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Let's pray. God... Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray right now that you would use this time in an incredible way to touch our hearts, to change our lives, to give us a vision of what you want for for us in 2011, what you would have for us to do uh, through the power of your spirit 
in 2011. God, just speak to our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you have ever heard a song or maybe you're riding down the road listening to the radio and you hear this song that maybe you were listening to back when you were, were uh, uh, younger or going um, maybe in high school, college, whatever it might have been. And when you heard that song, it took you back to that time. Maybe the time that you met your, your wife or maybe the time that, that you know you graduated high school, whatever. Maybe you got your first car, whatever it was. How many of you say that you hear songs like that? I mean, we do that all the time, right? Music has a way of taking us back to a certain place and a certain time. And, and to just to sort of let you get a taste of that, we put together a few songs that we thought might take you back to some of those times in your life. So they're going to play those for you real quick. So see, some of those songs, some of you are like, man, I wish I could hear the rest of that song. There are a couple of them in there. I'm like, don't just tease me with a little bit. I want to hear the whole thing. And, and we listen to these songs and it takes us back to this place in time. And you kind of get that nostalgic feeling where you're like, oh man, I just wish I could go back and do that again. You're thinking about, you know, the couple skate at the skating rink and holding hands and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, and, 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 and those songs have a way of doing that. And I don't know if it's just been the first of the year having a new baby. I don't know what it is, but I've been reflecting a lot lately just on life and, and everything. And, and I was thinking about 2011, and I'm thinking about the things that I'd love to see happen in 2011, the things that I'd love to see God do in 2011. And I've kind of had this whole nostalgic feeling going. And, and the thing that really started jumping into my heart was just how temporal life is. It, it's just so short. I mean, the Bible even says that life is like a vapor. Right? I mean, it's like you're here and you're gone. And I think about the billions of people who've lived before us, who've come and gone. And, and, and I want to see our lives make an impact. Right? I don't want it just to be something that, that just fades into um, you know, just time and history. I mean, you think about when you throw a rock into some water. You throw that rock out there, it hits the water, and what does it do? It starts a ripple. Right? But eventually that ripple fades out. The cool thing about being a Christian and the cool thing about being a part of the story that God's writing is we have the opportunity to impact people in a way that carries ripples into eternity. Isn't that awesome? That what you do here and now, what you do today, can be a part of having an eternal impact in somebody's life. I was watching this guy on, on TV and he was talking about surviving this boat accident that he, he's like, you know, I should have been dead. It was one of those shows on TV and, and he was talking about that. And he, he was probably, you know, about my age, maybe a little older. And he was like so thankful that he was alive. And I would have been too, don't get me wrong. It's like I want, I want to die today. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is I thought about this. Even though he survived, I mean, what's he got left? I mean, 40 years maybe? 35, 40, 50 years at the most? And I'm like, man, I want to make these years count. I want to see that God does something through my life and through your life that actually matters after 40 years, that actually does something so that when we get to eternity, when we're there and we're in heaven, there's some people there because of something that we did, an impact that we made, and, and not just to see our life just float by. And I know, man, this, I'm not trying to depress you today like by saying, you know, like you're not going to live that long. I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to do is maybe create this sense of urgency that this year God wants to do something in us, that God wants to, to do something through us that is absolutely incredible. 
That he wants us to be a part of the story that he's writing in the hearts of men and women all around us, in the lives that he wants to change. And he wants us to be the tools in his hand that he uses to do that. That's a pretty incredible thought going into a new year. That we could get to the end of 2011 and look back and go, wow, God really used me to do something awesome in somebody's life. I was able to be a part of writing this story for God and with God. There's three things in that first section of chapter 8 that I want to bring out to you because I think it's important as we look at this race that God's calling us to run, three things that we need to understand. First and foremost is why Jesus came. Now listen, these people in in verses 1 through 8, their primary focus was, I'm going to preach the word of God. We're going to preach the word. We're going to preach the word. And when we look at Jesus, why did he come? He came to share the word, right? He came to preach the word of God to people. He came to say, listen, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. Come back to God. He loves you. Right? That's why Jesus came. If we're going to do our race, we need to look at the race of Christ. And he came so that he could preach the word and tell people about it. That's what these folks were doing. It says that they were scattered and they went everywhere preaching the word of God. The second thing is this, that they were ordinary folks. It says the only people that stayed in Jerusalem when this persecution broke out, and what had happened um, is that Stephen, he was, he was a, like this guy, he was like the most innocent guy you could possibly find, right? The Bible even says his face was like an angel, right? He was, a, he was a great guy. But he stood up one day and he preached to some people and he basically told them, you killed the Son of God. They didn't like that very much. And so they all took stones, they killed him. And it says this persecution broke out against the church and people were scattered everywhere. But it says that the the only people who remained in Jerusalem were the apostles. I thought that was pretty interesting. Because if the apostles were in Jerusalem, it was ordinary folks that were out in the countryside, that were scattered everywhere, proclaiming the word of God. See, that speaks to me because I realize that we're ordinary folks. But I realize that God has called ordinary people to be his voice in the world. God has called ordinary people to be the hands of Christ in the world. He's called us, you and I, to be able to be a part of sharing that with other people. Isn't that cool that God didn't come? When Jesus came, he didn't go to the cemeteries, I meant seminaries, to get the people that he would call out to go and, and spread the word of God. He called people who were like me and you, you and I. We were, it, was, it was like us to go out. And I mean, how would you like to do that? To know that, that everything, that, that the kingdom of God was riding on us, right? What a huge responsibility. And yet God's entrusted that with us. The other thing that I see in this right here is we got to realize something. God longs to use us in an incredible way to write this story of eternity. He longs to use us in an incredible way. But you know, these people who were sitting in Jerusalem, they were the same ones in Acts chapter 1 that God had said, now go into all the earth and tell them about me. When you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, go into all the earth and tell them about me. So my question is this, why were they still in Jerusalem? What were they doing still sitting? He had already given them the Spirit of God. He had filled them with the Holy Spirit. Why were they still sitting in Jerusalem? And the thing I realized is this persecution came and scattered them because God's going to fulfill his plan. Here's the truth of the matter. God wants us to be a part of writing his story, but if we refuse, he's still going to write it. He's still sovereign and he's still going to work it out. The Bible says that if we refuse to praise him, Jesus said this, if we refuse to praise him, the rocks will cry out. 
If we refuse to tell people, he's going to reveal himself in some way. We've already seen that throughout history. So my question is, is it an option for you that God would find somebody else? It's not an option for me. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be a part of being able to share the word. I don't want some rock crying out and worshiping God for me. And we have this opportunity to be able to join with Christ, join with the Spirit of God, and begin to see Him use us in incredible ways to bring people into a relationship with Him. If we have tasted that ourselves, a relationship with God, how can we not want that for other people? We've got to. We've got to. There's no way that we can do that. Listen to this. I want to jump over and I'm going to give you five things. We, we may actually get out of here early today. Hold on, don't fall out of your seat, but we may actually get out of here early today. Um, But I want to give you five things real quickly that I believe God desires for us to do if we're going to do everything that he wants us to do in in 2011. The first one, look at this. We're going to read verses 26 um, through 28. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. I had a little trouble reading this morning. Pray for me. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he... he, See, I'm telling you. Can somebody come read this for me? And on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The first thing I see here that that Philip did, the first thing that I see him, him doing in order to fulfill what God desired was that he was in tune with God. And... You will not walk out of here today and go, wow, that was so deep I couldn't get it. I promise. And this is not, first of all, never deep. But this is, this is really simple stuff, right? First of all, he was in tune with God. I remember when I got my learner's license. Anybody remember getting your learner's license and you thought you were like all that because you could drive even though your mom was sitting next to you? I mean, you're, you're riding down the road. I remember pulling out of the state patrol office. It was on um, 301 North at the time. And I remember pulling out onto 301 and the first thing I did was reach down for the radio. And my mom's flipping out. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I got this, mom. I've been on the road all of 10 seconds, right? That's my first driving experience. And I'm like out there on the road. I'm I'm messing with the radio, trying to find some Def Leppard or Guns N' Roses or something like that. Pour some sugar on me. You know, something that would, because, I mean, and y'all know that music. Some of y'all are like, man, that's my jam. I still listen to that. And so... And it was good. And, and I'm trying to find this on the radio and I'm, I'm fiddling with it. Because to me, I was like, what's the point of writing if I can't listen to my music? If I can't get this thing to, what's the point for me? And you know, life is like that to me. If I'm not in tune with God, what's the point? What's the point of this? If, if, I'm, not, if I'm not in tune with God and what he's doing, what's the point of me going through my day because see here's the thing when we were born there there was something on the inside of us that said there's something bigger out there there's something on every one of us inside of us ecclesiastes 3 11 says that god has placed eternity in the hearts of man now think about this there's something that tells us there's something bigger out there there's something that, that we're supposed to do there's there's this great thing i know my, my eight-year-old son Dake, man if you know him that kid's motor runs like 900 miles an hour all the time I mean, he never slows down. We call him Captain Destructo because I'm telling you, you could give this kid a ball bearing and he'd break it. That's just how he is. I mean, he, he just is wide open all the time. And I look at him and, and he wakes up in the morning and he is like full tilt, all go, because there's so much to do. There's, so much, there's a big world out there and he wants to explore it. He wants to investigate it. He wants to be a part of it. And, and I look at us and, you know, we were all in that place at some point. 
Were we not? When you, you remember when you were little and the world was so big, there was so much to do, you couldn't wait to get outside. And now they're like, Daddy, will you come throw the ball with me? And you're like, oh, son, let me watch TV just a little bit. I'm not tired. You know? and, and we lose this, this whole thing of this excitement about life. And somewhere along the way, we compromise that huge calling of God. And, and we just settle for the mundane thing of life where we just go one day after the next and one day turns into another and we get up and we go to work and we come home. We go through our routine. We go to bed. We get up and go to work and we wonder why we're miserable and I believe it's because we've sacrificed this incredible story that God wants to write in our life for just the everyday stuff we do I think we've traded all that God wants to do in us and through us for for just every day just every day going through the motions and I believe when we're in tune with God and we're willing to follow his leading and his hand is on our life moving us around and doing things through us man, life takes on a whole new meaning I believe we can recapture this whole idea that God wants to use us for something bigger than we are. I believe that God wants to rekindle that in our hearts. I mean, come on, I don't think I'm the only one in here today that wakes up some mornings and you're just like, oh God. I mean, come on, it's everybody. Everybody. But I believe that God wants more than that. And I believe when we begin to listen to his voice as Philip did, we believe, begin to say, okay, God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to listen. I'm going to obey what you tell me to do. It brings life because, you know, it brings life because we're actually doing what we were created to do. We're being in tune with the Father. How can we be a people who are walking with God, doing the things God wants us to do if we're not even tuned in to what he's telling us? And our problem is distraction, man. I mean, you can come in here and hear a message and be like, oh, man, great. And I see you at RJ's. I'm like, how'd you think the message went today? You're like, good. I was like, what do I preach on? You're like, it was good. (laughs) The Bible. Acts. You know? And and because why? We get distracted. And you've got to realize we have to fight to stay in tune. We're not going to wake up in the morning and just end up the rest of our day just accidentally having tuned in to God. It does not work that way. We've got to make a conscious effort that I'm going to be tuned in. I'm going to follow God. And when God gives me something to do, I'm going to step out and I'm going to do it. I'm going to be obedient to what God calls me to do. Listen to this. Read um, verses 26, actually verse 30 to you. Let's back up to 29. Spirit told Philip, go. To that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. The next thing that, that I see Philip doing here is this guy initiates a relationship with, with this eunuch, this, this Ethiopian. How many of you remember when you asked out your, a girl or a guy, or, or you know, because girls do ask guys out now, um, but you asked out a girl or guy, or maybe it's your, you know, it was your wife, you asked her to marry you, and, and you remember the feeling that led up to that. I mean, I've dated Susan since Jesus walked the earth, so I only had this experience one time. But, but you think about that whole thing of having to go, and you go and ask this girl out on a date, or, or this guy comes up to talk to you. And the hardest part of that is initiating the conversation, isn't it? Because you know what you're up to. Now, if you were just having a regular conversation, it might not be that bad, but you know what you're about to do. And when I think about that, I think about how that is with us and Christ. I mean, I remember when I, when I asked Susan if she would go to the movie with me or whatever. And I'd sent my buddy to go talk to her before I did. Because it was easier, right? I could send, send him and he was like, hey, you know Brandon? Yeah, I know Brandon. What do you think about Brandon? Brandon's a good guy. Would you think you would ever go out with Brandon? Yeah, I'd probably go out. And he comes back and he's like, 
she said she'd go out with you. I'm like, okay, I can do this now. You know, and so I'm all, I'm, I'm confident now because I know that the answer is yes. And so the hardest part is just initiating this whole conversation. It's just taking a step of going, hey, let me tell you, um, I, I'm interested in you. And I was thinking about this whole thing about initiating relationships and the awkwardness of it. And I was thinking about that is such a hard thing for us to do with people and sharing Christ with them. It's hard just to initiate that relationship sometimes. It's hard to go up to this person like uh, Philip did, to this eunuch, this Ethiopian, who who was so different from him, and just say, listen, um, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand this? Can can I talk to you a minute? Can, Can I just get to know you? A little bit, you know, just initiating this relationship. And it's so hard sometimes for us to do that. And I thought about Jesus. You see, the fear we have of initiating relationships is what? It's rejection, right? Nothing worse than if you went up to a girl and like, hey, I think you're pretty. You want to go to a movie sometime? And she's like, no, not really. You know, I mean, that would not be a good thing. And, and so this fear of rejection is something that we all face. And I think about Jesus knowing he was coming to a people who were created for him, by him, and yet didn't recognize him. And he offers this relationship. He initiates this relationship between us and God. And then knowing that billions would reject him. Isn't that crazy? And yet he came and did it anyway. And yet we hold back. We don't go to people. We don't begin to initiate this relationship with them because we're afraid of rejection. We're afraid they think we're weird. You know, I've never had anybody that I walked up to who's talking to and be like, hey man, God loves you. And they'd be like, well, shut up, man. I hate you. Nobody does that. I mean, because I mean, everybody, most of the time that does not happen, right? And yet we're so afraid to go up and initiate relationships. We're so afraid. And, and I wonder, why is that? Why is it if God was willing to take that step for us, knowing that many of us would reject him, many of us would turn our back on him, why is it that we're afraid to initiate the relationships? I want to give you three reasons real quick that I believe. The first one is, is what we just talked about, that you've reject, you, you're afraid of being rejected, afraid of being weird, afraid of being different. But you know what? The thing with me is this. Normal kind of stinks, doesn't it? I mean, when you look around you, do you really see anything in our culture that makes you go, I want to be a part of that? No. I mean, why, why, why would we want to be? And God offers this alternative that we could be a community that's so different from the world that people look at it and they can see God. That's absolutely incredible. The first one is that we're afraid of rejection. The second one is this, that somebody told you not to. You might have been in youth ministry and, and, and you came up through a youth ministry um, or, and, and, and the thing was, don't be unequally yoked, right? Everybody heard that if you were in a youth ministry? Don't be unequally yoked. Don't initiate relationships with anybody if you're not a Christian. If you, if you hang around, you know, if you lie down with dogs, you get up with fleas. Anybody ever, you, you, I mean, you heard people say that. And listen, I understand that that's a part of reality. The people you hang out with are going to influence your life. But the other side of the reality is Jesus ate with sinners. That's who he hung out with. And I'm going to be straight up honest. It's more fun most of the time to hang out with sinners than it is with the Christians. Because we're so like this. Everybody looks like they just sucked a lemon. My, my gosh, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Have some joy. You know, God's not up there with a ruler looking to slap you upside the head. He's a good God who loves you enough to give you Jesus and give you a way to come to him. Enjoy life a little bit. 
You can be holy and still enjoy life. But God calls us to go to people who aren't like us. See, here's the thing. Most of the time in today's world, you're not going to knock on somebody's door, hand them a track, say Jesus loves you, turn or burn, and then go, okay, I need Jesus. Will you pray with me? It's probably not happening now. See, back, back in the 50s, that worked. It don't work anymore. It might occasionally, but in the 50s, man, Billy Graham could stand up and preach the gospel, play just as, here, just as I am, and, and, and it was like... It was like, man, it was like they were giving away Walmart gift certificates or something. It was like just, just people flocked to the altar. And I believe that the reason for that was in that day, in that time, if you were looking at a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being somebody that's a fully devoted follower of Christ, 1 being somebody who's not, most people in that time were like 8s. I mean, they grew up in church. They knew about Christ. They knew all these things. So they hear somebody stand up and present this gospel that's so simple and empowered with the Holy Spirit. And they go, oh yeah, that makes sense. I need that. But you know, even in our culture in the South where people are all Christians, which is a joke in and of itself, and everybody's saved and everybody goes to church, which is not true, but, but we, we believe that. You know that most people around us are, are probably threes and fours on that same scale now? So what we end up having to do is we have to begin to initiate this relationship with them. We've got to begin to, to, to do more with them than just hand them a track and present something to them. The third reason I think that we don't uh, initiate relationships is honestly just because we, ha- we don't have the desire to. It's pretty simple. We just, we just lack a desire. You think about it. When you initiated that relationship with that girl, that guy, whatever the case may be, Think about it. What got you over the nerves? What pushed you past that ner- those butterflies? What pushed you past having this, um, this nervousness that was keeping you from talking to them? It was a desire. It was, I, I, I would rather endure the nervousness and the awkwardness to have an opportunity to get to know this person better. And I look around and I, what I see in us is, man, I don't know if we have enough of a desire to push us past those obstacles to push us past the, the, the awkwardness of sharing our faith, of, of initiating relationships with people who aren't Christians, who aren't like us. And, and I wonder, you know, when are we going to create that? I mean, we just need to begin to cry out to God, I believe, and say, God, create this in us. Give me a greater desire to honor you and spread your word than, than just to guard myself and protect my own, um, I guess, my own perception or what people perceive me to be. And so we've got to get to this place where our desire is greater. Let me ask you this. Ladies, how many of you have a hard time recognizing a good sale at the mall? Anybody? You don't, man. You're riding down like, like um, what is that road over by the mall? 80. And, and you're riding down 80. And, and I mean, I know it's the small, but they still got stuff. And, and you, you look on the sign, and it's like 50% off. You don't even have to think about, is this a good opportunity? Your car just automatically starts turning in, right? You're in Savannah. You know about a sale that's going on. Somehow, your car just ends up in the parking lot. It's like you just wake up, and you're like, oh, wow, I didn't, how did I get here, right? Or guys, how, do you have to really like have somebody beg you to, to take the opportunity to go hunting, to go fishing? Go play golf. Kick back in your recliner and take a nap. No. You recognize those opportunities really, really easy. Why is that? Because that's what you desire. That's what I desire. We recognize those things really easy. 
And so here's the deal. When we begin to desire God, when we begin to desire to share our faith, when we begin to desire to initiate relationships with other people, there's going to come a point in time when we very easily recognize opportunity to do that. The problem is we just, we don't really, it's just not that important to us. I mean, you do the things that are important to you, and it's really not that important to us. So we need to cultivate a desire. We need to begin to ask God, cry out to God, give us a desire to initiate relationships that will honor you and bring people closer to you. Third one is this, 31 through 33. He says, how can I, he said, unless someone explains. He's trying to figure out the scripture. Philip says, you want me to explain this to you? He said, yeah, because I don't know what it means. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The unit was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. You ever had people that just like, just get on your nerves? Come on, everybody be honest. There's sometimes people just get on your, like there's some people like, <laughs> you, you, it's okay. I mean, I think we all at some time or another have somebody that gets on our nerves. But here's the cool thing about Philip. This guy was not like him. He was so different from him. But the third thing, he comes and he begins to invest in this guy right? There are, there are people who, man, they may be different from us. They may, be, they may live in our own household. And sometimes they just grate our nerves, man. They just get on our nerves. But we're still called to invest in these people. I remember um, over the Christmas holidays and getting ready, we went down to Savannah uh, to the mall and, and, and we're there and Susan ran into Target and I had a nice front row parking place. It was perfect. I was just sitting there. I had Reed and Jackson and Dake in the car with me. We were all in there. The baby wasn't crying. It was glorious. And, and we're sitting there and, and this car comes up and I'm sitting in my car and they just turned their blinker on because I guess they thought I was leaving. And so I was like, I'm going to be nice and back up and let them have my parking space. So I back up and doing a you know, this random act of kindness. And, and I pull off and they come and pull in. So I'm just going to ride around the parking lot until Susan finally comes out of Target. And, and so I'm riding around, riding around, and I come to where I have to cross over one of the main little parts of the parking lot. And, and I'm coming up there, and I start to ease out, and this car comes over the hill. I mean, it's like this little sports car comes flying over here. It had to be going like 50 miles an hour through the Target parking lot. And I pull up there, and I just slam on brakes. And I'm like, oh. you know, I couldn't even yell. It was, it's, it's, as I thought, I just knew we were hit. And here I've got, like, a, at that time, a four-week-old baby in the car with me, five weeks old, something like that. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. And, and the car slams on brakes. And I'm like, oh. And then the guy does this. I was like, no, man. I was like, the kids are in the car. I'm trying to not just say anything. And so I just looked at him and I was like, <laughs> like that. And so we go into this stare down. You ever had this? Or you're just like, and, and so we're staring each other down. And I'm like, I'm not backing down, backing up traffic. I'm like, and then so I'm like, this ain't going anywhere. So I, I increased the intensity. I went <laughs> like this. And I looked at him out of the corner of my eye, and finally he puts his hands down, and he, he drives off, and I'm like, yeah, that's what I thought. Because he's in his little cute little sports car. I'm in my man band. I'm like, man, you don't have a chance, man. And, and, um, and we, we pull off, and I feel like I have you know, kind of proven myself to my sons. You know? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I will mess him up. You know? And so... And, 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 and so, I mean, I'm kind of, I really don't have road rage, um, but, but it just was irritating. And then the other day, I'm coming down from um, I'm 67, like I was coming from town, coming in, about to turn at Burger King. And there's this guy, and he's turning left, 
but he's in the left lane. And I'm like, don't you know that they may turn lanes for a reason? And I'm behind him and traffic's backing up. I'm thinking I'm going to get rear-ended. And he's just sitting there with his blinker on. I'm like, what are you doing? Get in the turn lane. And if I were to be real honest with you, like the things I was thinking about him were not nice. And I'm sitting there thinking things like, moron, you get over, get out of the... And right when I had that thought, it was like God just spoke to my heart, you know, this impression on my heart and says, you know, you're like that to me a lot of times. It's like, dang, God, why you got to talk to me like that? I'm like, you hurt my feelings. And, and, but I realized, you know, I have, I have done so many stupid things in my life. I, I've been so um, just ignorant towards God. I've turned my back on God so many times. I, you know, and yet God has still loved me. He's still invested in me. Where would I be if God had not been bigger than my stupidity, Right? And I think about that with us and people. Man, there are going to be people that get on your nerves. There are going to be days you don't feel like investing in people. There are going to be days you don't feel like talking to people. But we're called to invest in people's lives. And we're in tune with God. And he leads us into this place where we can initiate a relationship with somebody. And we have this opportunity then to begin to invest in their lives. We begin to move them closer to that 10 on that spectrum. We begin to get them to a place where they can see the reality of God in their lives and the cool thing is you and I get to be that accurate picture of God they get to look at us because the Holy Spirit dwells us and see there is no rhyme or reason that they would be investing in my life the way they are it's got to be divine it's got to be supernatural and so we begin to invest even when it's inconvenient even when it's not the best thing that we could do really the problem for us is again we invest in what's important we think about the things you really invest in. We invest in our 401k, right? If you have one. I have savings. It's just I hadn't put anything in them in a long time. Um, but we invest in that. Why? Because it's important to us. We invest in a little league, man. Come on now. You know in the South, I think in the entire United States, we are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs when it comes to little league sports. Are we not? And I'm not, I'll coach my son's baseball team this, this spring. I'm not against it. But, I mean, seriously, we, we go crazy over this stuff. We invest in it. We buy bats and balls and gloves and gadgets to help them hit better. And, and we spend all this time and energy in that. We invest in that. We invest in education, right? I mean, you know, you, you invested in that. And why do we invest in it? Because we want to be able to put more in our 401K and invest in Little League. I mean, if you, that, that's why you go. That's why you, I doubt many of you went to college because you just desire to acquire greater knowledge yeah no you went because you knew if I go to college I can probably get a better job when I get out so that you can have those things and so we invest in what's important but if people are important to God man shouldn't they be important to us and so we, we really have got to get ourselves we're investing in people we're pouring into people's lives even when it's not convenient fourth thing is this verse 34 and 35 says the eunuch asked Philip tell me please who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. The fourth thing is that he invited people. He, he invited this, this Ethiopian eunuch to a relationship with Christ. I don't know about you, but man, that's a nerve-wracking thing. When you know you're about to ask somebody, do you want to receive Christ? Even when you're preaching a message because you're like, all right, 
if you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior today, you know, stand up, come to the front, raise your hand. And then, because you know, like, if nobody comes, everybody else is going to be like, oh, man, dang, I feel bad for him. You know what I'm saying? And so, but, but it is, it's a weird thing. And I remember when I first um, began living for God, man, and I was getting some opportunities to, to speak and go around different places. And I, and I was asking, I was like, God, I never see anybody get saved. I mean, I want to see somebody give their life to Christ. I mean, you know, you spoke through a donkey. You can speak through me. Come on, I want to I see this stuff start happening. And it seemed like it never happened. And then one day I went um, and I spoke at this youth detention center. Um, is a uh, you know, teenage guys. And there were about 17 guys in the room. And I remember I, I spoke to them. And at the end I said, if you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, this is what I want you to do right now, right where you are. You want to know the love of God. You want to be filled with the, the Spirit of God. Then right now I want you to just raise your hand. And out of 17 kids, like nine of them raised their hand. And then I was like, dang, what do I do now? I mean, I had no clue. I was like, what do I do? And, and, and I didn't know. I was like, I don't. And so I was like, okay, I remember hearing people pray a prayer. And so I said, went back and I started just trying to say, okay, this is what we're doing. I, I led them through the prayer. I was like, okay, bow your head and say this after me. I was like, God is great. You know, God is good. And I was like, yeah, I didn't know what to do. And, but here's the thing. What I've realized since is that it's not that complicated. God knows we're not that smart. And all he wants us to do is to step in faith and be obedient and say, do you want what I have? Do you want to be able to say that Jesus is your Lord, he's your Savior? Do you want to know that for eternity your, your life is, is sealed, that, that you cross over the threshold from the temporary to the eternal? And when they say yes, I want to give you two scriptures, actually, that I believe sum this thing up in a nutshell. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because this is the good thing about it. You have been called. You have the, the privilege and the opportunity to lead people across that threshold. You don't need me to do it for you. You are fully capable of doing this yourself. And, and the thing is so cool that why would you want somebody to do it for you? You're the one who's been called to do this. You're the one who's been commissioned to go out and preach the message of God. You're the one who's been given the opportunity to partner with Christ and bring people into eternity with him. Listen to this, verses 9 and 10. This is Paul speaking to Romans. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And listen, that's it. That's it. it. I never see in the scripture where Peter went up to somebody and was like, do you want to be a Christian? Yes, okay, repeat this after me. And he prays some eloquent prayer. It's not as much about what happens on the outside as it is what happens on the inside. You can pray some prayers all day long, but until your heart belongs to Christ, it doesn't matter. I mean, you can raise your hand every, every service. You can come to the altar every service. But the question is, does Jesus have your heart? And the bottom line that Paul tells us is, all you really need to do is say with your mouth that, that he is the Lord and Savior. Believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. But, but it's not just uttering the words. It is the life transformation that begins to happen inside of you when he becomes Lord. Because lordship means that he's the boss from now on. That he calls the shots. That I'm going to live for him and I'm going to be in tune with him. I'm going to be the one that, that's listening to his voice and going and doing the things he wants me to do. And it's saying that I believe that he was raised from the dead. I believe that I too will have the same life that he has. 
that he's given me new life today, right here and now, and that he's given me life for eternity, that I have crossed the threshold of the temporary and I've gone into the eternal. And so we have this opportunity to invite people to this relationship. You know, and and it's your opportunity that you get to be a part of this. You get to see this happen. Here's the last one. Verses 36 through 38. It says, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So here's the cool thing about this. They didn't get from Isaiah to baptism like that. This fifth thing is that we've got to begin to encourage people. See, I was all pumped up because I thought I had five things that started with I, and then I got to encourage, and it starts with an E. I was like, dang. I was going to brag about it. I was like, listen, I got five points. They all start with N, which they do. It's just not all I's. And so I started just to misspell it and make myself feel better. But he calls us to encourage people. He calls us not to just, just, just come in, blow through. Hey, you want to No, okay, let me move on. This, you know, Philip traveled with this guy. It took some time to help him see who God is. So many times we, we get to this place where, where we'll, we'll try to pour into somebody's life or maybe you even uh, step up to the plate and invite somebody to church and then they come in and, and it always happens that that day I say something that was very offensive to that person. I mean, it, just, it, it always happens. And, and, and you're like going, God, why do you say, he's never said that before. Why do you say that today? My gosh. You know? or, or either you're sitting there and I say something and you're like, yeah, you elbowing him like, I hope you heard that because that was good. That was for you. you know? and, and so you're wanting them to hear it and, and then you're so concerned about it, like you're in worship, you want to raise your hands, but then they're like standing beside you, and you're like, okay, I don't want to freak them out, so you just kind of do like this, you know? And Because you're so concerned about them. And, 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 but here's the thing that happens so many times, is we bring them to church once, they walk out the doors, and then it's over. It, most people probably aren't going to get it the first time. The, the things that I've seen say that most of the times people take six months come into a church now before they come to a place of being ready to put their faith in Christ. Somebody's got to walk them through that time. Somebody's got to be there and encourage them. Somebody's got to be there to say, come on, this is, we can do this. That when they come that one time and they don't show up for two weeks, somebody goes, hey man, why don't you come back? You know, I know that message stunk, but he usually preaches better than that, right? And and don't lie to him. Be like, man, he's really good most of the time. I know he's a, you know, just tell him something. Whatever it takes to get them here, to get them in the church and encourage them along the way. Philip stayed with them while, while they was going through this process of faith. And so I believe that's what God's called us to do. I, that, I believe, is the number one thing that God's called us to do in life, is, is, is to be in tune with him. To be a part of this huge story that he's writing by being in tune, by initiating, by investing, by inviting, and then by encouraging people along this path. I know that's simple, but man, if we begin to do the simple things that God has told us to do, we can see incredible things happen. I mean, I would think that most of you, some of you may be first-time visitors, maybe some of you never stepped foot in a church before. I don't know. But I would guarantee that most of you have come here for some reason. That God's done something so that you're coming here. If not, I'm like, I don't know why you're here. But, but God has done something for you to be here. Offer that to other people. Offer that to folks that God could touch their lives the same way he's touched yours. 
be that person of encouragement that walks alongside of them, investing in them, believing in them, so that they can come to the realization of who Christ is. And then you'll be like the person that throws the rock into, the, into eternity. And that ripple continues forever. It's ongoing. It's constant. It continues on. And this is an awesome privilege, but it's also a great responsibility that one day you and I will stand before God and give accountability for what we did with what he's given us. And now you may not live in the biggest house and you might not have the the most money of anybody, but you've been given the greatest gift that could possibly ever be given, and that's Jesus Christ. And one day we will stand before God and have to give an account of how we stewarded that gift. And so my challenge to you in 2011 is what are you going to do with the gift of Christ? that so many of you have already received. Let's stand to our feet and we'll pray.